How's it going? Welcome to episode 152 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 Grade. It's all spelled out. Kevin Hastings is at Hastings Kevin on the Twitter. We have another great show lined up for you today as we continue rounding out our 2024 preview episodes today, focusing on speed, namely run scored, stolen bases. Speed is the name of the game here today, and we'll get into the weeds of all of that uh, just a little bit. Before we do, Kevin, glad to glad to keep going with you, man. We have we are recording this on Thursday. We have actual baseball being played at a professional level. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel great other than uh, I have to take Fernando Tatis Jr. off my board over two with a strikeout. I have to take Bogarts (laughs) over two with a strikeout off my – Joe Musgrove, we can't even get started. Infinite, infinite ERA, he's done. So this is how we're getting the 2024 fantasy baseball season started. Uh, Overreacting, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Especially with one game of the very beginning of spring training. That's all you're allowed to do, Kevin. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, joining us today to help us overreact to that and many, many other things uh, is our very good friend, Marty Talman. Marty is my uh, cohort in the GLARF draft. Uh, I think, Marty, you're the first pick overall, so lucky you on that one. I wonder which way you went. I think we'll wait until the very end of the episode to talk about that. Uh, but he is going to join us to kind of break down this the speed component of your drafts going into 2024. If you're not already, of course, you should be following Marty at Marty underscore Talman. That'll be linked in the show notes as well. You probably know his work over at Fantrax and, of course, by listening to him at the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Marty, we're going to pick your brain on all things speed. But before we do that, just thanks for being here, man. How you doing? Thank you so much. As I was saying before we got on, Kevin, great, great to meet you, Adam. It's great to, to see you and speak to you. Um, we got to see kind of kind of see each other in Glarf, um, but you were virtual. So this is kind of the same thing, but even more intimate. I was there last year. OK, I true. And I was year. not. You had a better excuse than me with the uh, (laughs) ice storm that was stopping you guys. I mean, if that's not the uh, if that's not a Midwest fantasy baseball league, you know, stopping you, you know, the the weather. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. And as a person who unfortunately was not gifted with speed, it feels great to at least be able to talk about it. There you go. Live vicariously through the conversation. Exactly. That's all we can really ask of ourselves. That's why we play this game most of the time anyway, isn't it? Essentially. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we do have uh, we have lots to talk about regarding that that those categories. We will get to that in a little bit, but we do have some news and notes, of course, to go over from the week prior. Um, as I said, remember we are recording this on Thursday. Think and uh, the five or so people that are watching us right now live on our YouTube channel or on the Twitter. Uh, and but we will hit on news that have happened up until this point. Uh, so keep that in mind, Kevin, let's start off again with your Royals. I don't feel like we were able to talk about your Royals last week. So we got to talk about them. Now they make a trade with my Red Sox for reliever, John Schreiber, uh, Boston fills the bullpen with Liam Hendricks, who signs a two year deal plus a mutual option for 2026. I'm not worried about that so far down the line, but, um, first and foremost, like, 
I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think anybody's expecting Schreiber to, uh, you know, pull for saves in Kansas City, but how, how much more confident are you in your Royals bullpen now than you were at the start of the offseason? Oh, infinitely more confident. Uh, this makes, I believe, five additions to the bullpen this offseason. Schreiber being the fifth uh, and, a, and another nice veteran to add to the mix. It does hurt a little bit to to lose David Sandlin, but uh, he's he's at, at least two, three years away. Uh, he, he's got potential. Uh, I think your Red Sox have, have a, a nice prospect here, but uh, fortifying this bullpen was a, a huge goal for the Kansas City Royals this offseason. They had, if not the worst, one of the worst bullpens in baseball last season. That's why we've seen all these additions this offseason, and I think John Schreiber fits in nicely. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, nice addition in that bullpen. Um, as I mentioned, the, the Red Sox fill their bullpen hole by Le- sending Schreiber out by filling it in with Liam Hendricks, who, uh, of course, won't be starting the season in the bullpen, in the active bullpen, uh, keeping our fingers crossed that he'll be ready to go coming back from his surgery uh, by the end of the season now. Obviously, where the Red Sox stand in August, in September, is going to play a larger role with what Hendricks' role will be at that time, not to mention the status of Kenley Jansen being uh, still on the roster or not and what role that can fill. But with Jansen being in the final year of his contract, um, all things would point toward Leon Hendricks being a, uh, a top producer at the back end of that bullpen in 2025. But with that being said, Marty, I mean, do you have – how many IL spots do you need in a, in a, in a league – to be stashing Liam Hendricks, uh, is it just ultimately an infinite uh, IL spot, or are you have you have a little bit more interest in that? Yeah, I say you know if you have four or more, but here here's the thing: because if you do draft them, especially in a twelve team league, there's a big chance that you're going to drop them in the first month of the mm-hmm. season, just out of necessity, because that's just the way that you know everything goes. Um, but I think, especially with Kenley Jansen, even being vocal, you know, on a podcast, you know, saying he. You know, he's surprised by the uh, the direction of the team and how they're not being competitive. I think he's probably going to be on his way out at some point this season. And at the the last month or so, um, Hendricks could get you five, six, seven saves, which in a roto league, you know, could really save you. No yeah. pun intended. Yeah, no pun absolutely intended. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm offended that you said that that was not intended. Uh, but we will move on anyway, Marty. We'll move into our what has turned into a weekly edition of our News and Notes, talking about uh, multiple minor league deals that have happened. And I just want your take on which one of these is the most likely to actually make any kind of an impact? Uh, which one are you most likely to uh, target in a draft champions, a draft and hold style league, because they could still win a job in their, with their new respective teams. We have uh, Yu Chang signed a minor league deal with Tampa Bay, Dom Smith, a minor league deal with the Chicago Cubs. And then in, with the New York Mets, we have Luke Voigt and G man Choi signing minor league deals there. Uh, so they got four this week to so four to choose from. Uh, you got to pick one that you're the most confident on, even if you don't think any of these will pan out. Uh, but I'm going to put, you know, gun to your head. Who are you uh, most interested in here? I'm going to go with Dominic Smith. I think he's in, he has the opportunity to make the most fantasy impact. Um, unfortunately, over the last year or so, he's been a below average hitter. 
But what the silver lining is he cut down his uh, strikeout percentage to a career low 15%. And he underwent a Hammond. Uh, he went underwent, underwent surgery to address a Hammond injury. And we, I'm not sure when that injury happened because he didn't miss any time on the IL, but I assume at some point he was battling that. So um, I, I live in this crazy world where I think where the Cubs aren't huge on Matt Mervis being their first baseman of the future. Call me crazy, but I think they've made a couple moves over the, this last <laughs> year where I don't think they're fully sold on him. So I could see, I mean, who, who slotted in right now, Michael Bush maybe will play some of first, Matt Mervis playing first or, or DH. I could see at some point Smith being called up um, and being able to be, you know, try to maybe flash get some of that power that we saw a few years ago with the Mets. Uh, I could see that. Out of all of the options that you gave me, I could see that one the most. Kevin, do you see anything more out of this list than we've seen in the last couple of weeks as we talk about these minor league deals being a little bit more fruitful? Um, or are these just like, all right, fine, we'll see what happens, but not interested. No, no, maybe. And I, I agree with Marty. It would it would be Dom Smith here, uh, especially with comments from the Cubs organization this week that, oh, we don't necessarily need to sign anymore players we don't need to spend any more money we have a competitive team we can compete for the division if that's what they're going to do that that would lead us to believe no cody bellinger right that would be the big wrinkle that would mean this dom smith signing means almost nothing probably uh but with the with the comments they're making this week i i could see exactly what marty's talking about i could even see dom smith making this team out of spring training and, and playing uh nearly every day to, to start the season. All right. All right. We'll see what happens in uh Cubs camp here. All right. Uh, Kevin, the Cubs made, well, we'll get to the Cubs signing in a little bit. First, I want to get to these depth signings that we saw happen throughout the course of the week. Uh, we saw a couple of mostly infield depth signings happen in Tampa Bay, Miami, Philadelphia, and Detroit. And I want to get your take on which one's going to be the most impactful from a fantasy standpoint. I'm on Rosario signing with Tampa Bay. Tim Anderson called it is playing some position. He said he was willing <laughs> to play second base for, for whatever his new team was going to be back in November. Saw that in uh, Zimmerman's mining the news, which obviously is a must read. Uh, and lo and behold, he goes to the Miami Marlins shocker. Somebody willing to play second base goes to the Marlins. Uh, Whit Merrifield, your boy, goes to Philadelphia. Um, and Gio Oshella just signed a deal with the Detroit Tigers earlier today. Um, so all of these seem to be depth moves for the respective teams. Um, but one of these guys is going to find their way into maybe not regular everyday playing time, but enough playing time where you're going to be interested in streaming. And we're going to talk about at least one of these guys later on in the show. Um, but which one is your favorite to kind of uh, piggyback off of last week's episode, move into a little bit more playing time than maybe what we think they just signed on to do? I think it's Ahmed Rosario here. We know that there's a, a need at shortstop for Tampa. Uh, Mike Curland right now has Jose Caballero on, on his lineups pages as the starting shortstop versus right-handed pitching and Ahmed Rosario in a strict platoon facing lefties. He could easily work his way into more playing time. I believe, um, he, he hasn't 
done what we thought he was going to do. You know, three, four seasons ago, we were really big on Ahmed Rosario. Last season with the Dodgers, didn't get a lot of playing time. Uh, this is something that that could end up working out for him in, in the, the, the positive direction uh, as far as playing time goes if, if he por- performs throughout the spring and to start the season. Marty, is there anybody here uh, besides Rosario, I guess, that uh, kind of stands out? I mean, Tim Anderson, we obviously know what he's put up in a full-time role in his prime. Injuries kind of plagued his situation. With Mirrorfield, Kevin has talked about, you know, tremendously on this show many times throughout the offseason. It really depends where he goes and what kind of role he can sign into. Jurashell um, has kind of bounced around a little bit in the last year or two. Uh, and then obviously we have Rosario as well. Which one, uh, any of these guys stand out outside of Rosario in Tampa? Yeah, Mr. Hastings, I see your MLB playing time from Mike Curlin and I raise you. Uh, Tim Anderson's supposed to be leading off first righties and lefties. He right now is they're probably their most viable shortstop. Um, and he got, a, he got paid a little bit more money than Ahmad Rosario, which I think means a little bit of something, you know, he's if, if not at least pointing to a role. Uh, for playing time. So I don't see anybody in front of him. I don't think, and I don't like to use this term, but like, I don't think he's washed or cooked. I don't, he may be, but I don't think he's there yet. And he's going to have the full opportunity to show that, um, you know, he can still, he can still be a major league baseball player. So just based on plate appearances alone, and there's no one that's standing in front of him. I like, I like Tim Anderson, Giorgella. Yeah. Depth. Uh, Amad Rosario, I could, I completely agree with Kevin. I mean, he could be, you know, a one-two to to Anderson as far as uh, playing time. And with Merrifield, he's going to need an injury um, to be able to get you know, over 450 plate appearances. I think right now he's going to be able to help out in the outfield as much as possible with Castellano, Schwarber. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I Tim Anderson definitely. Tim Anderson, does he play second base, though? Like, I know he's willing to do it. That's my question. Is he going to gain the second base eligibility that anybody who plays for Miami should just get by default? Hey, if he does, then that's even better because they have second base and shortstop. (laughs) And you'll see this as you especially get into, like, the 15-team draft champions league. The, The further you go back, middle infield dries up quick. So the fact that he is where he is, that's great. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Uh, from the middle infield or from the infield in general to the outfield, as I alluded to earlier, Marty, I'm going to take you have the lead on this one. Uh, a couple of outfield signings that I want to know, get your take on which one do you think is going to be the most impactful, both for their new teams and also for, you know, in your drafts for fantasy purposes. Uh, we have Randall Grichick signing with the Arizona Diamondbacks and then David Peralta fills an outfield slot uh, for the Chicago Cubs. As Kevin kind of alluded to, you know, maybe this combined with Dom Smith, does this mean Cody Bellinger is not an option um, as much as we, you know, kind of assumed at this point it would be happening? Uh, Sarah Sanchez, I know, uh, also kind of feeling the feeling the jet blur. Uh, you know, the you don't have any love for Mike raise. Talkman? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, whoever. It's just, does this mean David Peralta is the man there? Or, you know, what direction do you think? Either one of these players could take their new uh, roles. Yeah, so for we're here for fantasy. So I think uh, uh, Randall Gritchick, uh, the signing's more impactful. Um, I believe he has a clear path to playing time on a good offensive team. Because as of now, uh, Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, Jock Peterson, all in the outfield and all are lefties. We know Jock's not going to play 
every day in the outfield. So he'll be DHing. So against righties, I'm sorry, against lefties, um, because Grichik is a righty. So against lefties, he'll be playing as much as possible. And he's also going to fill in defensively for, um, for Jock or whomever goes down. So he can, Grichik can play all three outfield positions, maybe not very well, specifically center, but it's passable. Um, so I could see him, if anyone's going to get more plate appearances, it's definitely be him over, um, David Peralta. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, Kevin, is this, uh, I mean, even though Peralta, you know, as Mark pointed out, maybe doesn't get the same kind of playing time. Is this, is just, just another wall being put up to not signing another big name in Chicago? Do you think, or do you not, do you not think Peralta is stopping, you know, Bellinger or anybody else for that matter from, uh, from filling in everyday playing time there? I'm always hesitant to believe what teams tell us when it's what we want to hear. But when we don't want to hear it and they don't want to tell us, then absolutely believe them. If the Cubs are telling their fans, we're done, we're not spending any more money, they're done. They're not spending any more money. Yeah. All right. Keep it simple. I like it. Um, All right. We have now going from some signings to, of course, we see spring training. We saw pitchers and catchers report already. We see some games actually happening. So, of course, out of the woodwork come all the injuries and so let's start in the pitching category here kevin kodai senga kyle bradish the two bigger arms that have uh talked about either you know, senga it's a shoulder bradish's elbow uh bradish says that he expects and wants and expects to be a high impact um arm for the orioles this season and Kodai Senga not going to be ready for opening day. The Mets have already men- mentioned that he will start the season on the IL. Um, Orioles haven't made an official announcement on Bradish's opening day status, though we're all, you know, pretty well aware that you know, he won't be there on opening day. Uh, which one of these guys is going to be impacted the most? On your draft boards, if you're in the middle of a draft right now, which one of these guys is going to be dropping further down their ADP? Um, and you know, are you willing to take the, the the major discount on either one of these guys at this point? Uh, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's really intriguing to me. So there's about a four year age difference. Obviously, both teams very invested. In, in both Braddish and Singa here and and don't want to do anything to rush them they, and make sure these guys are healthy before they come back. I am encouraged by the fact that, that Braddish is throwing. Uh, I know he's just playing catch, not back on the mound, but uh, he increased the distance he's playing catch from already. It's sounding like we can see him by May 1st. That is encouraging. Um, especially coming from the team with a guy like Bradish that we started to see a semi breakout for last season. We may see even more of one this year. I was kind of expecting that. I'm pretty big on Bradish coming into the season. The health issues now are concerning, but I'm, I'm encouraged by, by the way things are being presented to us. And if, if Bradish drops much at all, I, I think I'll start taking the chance and snagging him everywhere. Singa, uh, he's still in a, a pretty decent spot as well. Um, it's really hard to get away from what we've seen occur with the Mets over the last few seasons. 
So the, yeah, I think everything for to, to answer your question goes back to, I have more confidence in Bradish and I actually hope that uh, I do get a bit of a discount going forward. Yeah. I mean, that's probably fair. Um, sitting here in um, my Palazzo podcast uh, listener league here. And of course, you know, the, the, the Senga news came out, I think before the draft started, uh, but you still wonder, since it was so new, how long that would drop. So we are in the middle of the ninth round. He is still sitting on the board, of course, uh, a good 40, uh, oh, good 60 picks after his ADP. Uh, so we'll see how long. I mean, anybody who's going to be starting on the IL officially, uh, in, and it's an arm injury for a pitcher, you, you start questioning uh how long this has to take for you to be like, all right, fine. And this is a draft and hold style league. Uh, I'm actually probably less likely to go after somebody like this than I would be in a fab league where maybe I can learn something a little bit more earlier on in the season and then make a decision to drop um, where I can't really make that decision to draft and hold. Uh, Marty, have you uh, found yourself with any Kodai Senga or Kyle Bradish in any of the drafts that you've already completed and which one are you if, if you have both, which one are you more upset of having on your roster? Luckily, I've been able to avoid um, both of them. I wanted Senga a lot. Bradish, I, he was always gone before I could really get into him. Sure. And But moving forward, uh, Kyle Bradish would be the guy that I prayed I had, and I do not have Kode Senga. Posterior, posterior capsule, shoulder injury. I mean, we don't, I'm not a doctor, but that could be months, you know. Um, and at his age, he did a uh, Senga did a great job. Uh, he was very durable last year, and I think that was some, maybe some of the question marks we had for him going into into the 2023. Uh, but he was very durable. But a couple of years before that, in his former leagues, he had missed you know 40 games here, 60 games here, 60 games here. So he has a little bit of an injury past, and with this added on to, there's a good chance the Mets aren't going to be going anywhere this season. So why rush him back? Hey, they say that they're ready to be a playoff team again at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Hope, you know, we'll see. I think the Tigers ownership <laughs> says that to us too. So how many wins were the Rockies <laughs> supposed to get uh, two years ago or last year? It was like 90, they were a 96 win team, right? So they say all the, all the right things, even if they don't make any sense sometimes. Um, all right. We'll stay in Baltimore talking about Kyle Bradish here, uh, Marty and, Bradish isn't the only concern to the Baltimore uh, rotation starting the season. John Means is behind schedule as well uh, for their rotation. Probably not going to be ready for opening day as well. So, I mean, with the likes of Bradish and John Means not being ready for opening day in that rotation, what are your overall expectations for the Baltimore um, rotation? Do you expect them to make a bigger splash to fill? Like Snell is still not signed somewhere. Uh, Jordan Montgomery is not signed anywhere. Uh, or are they going to f- backfill in from you know some of their ni- nicer prospects that, I mean, some of us, raising my hand here on the video, uh, hope we can kind of see them uh, moving up a little bit quicker out of pure necessity. Which direction? What, what, what are you planning for? And this is something I haven't really been able to say about the Baltimore Orioles organization for a while, but they've getting the Corbin Burns move. What an incredible, I mean, that right there 
they got so lucky with that because imagine they don't do that and then they're facing what they have. So um, hats off to that organization making that move. I know they're trying to get new ownership. And I think if they do make a splash to get Jordan Montgomery, I don't believe they'll go Snell. I don't believe they'll invest that much money. But I, I the, the next tier down, Jordan Montgomery, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think it will tell us about the direction of this club for the next three, four or five years as they're you know, their young guys blossom um, potentially into superstars. But looking at the rotation for the Orioles going into the season, uh, number one, Corbin Burns, two, Grace Rodriguez, three, uh, Dean Kremer, four, Tyler Wells, and then Cole Irving um, potentially at the fifth spot. Those last two names uh, specifically do not make you feel too good if you're going to be wanting to pursue, um, you know, to be playoff bound in a a hard AL East division. So I see, I think they need to make a move now, whether or not they will, that's a, that's a, like I said, that's going to tell us what we are going to see from this uh, organization for the next few years, but they, they have to do something at this point. Um, just to stay a competitive in that division, you can't take a month off or six weeks and start the season off slow. You just can't do it there. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, are you uh, holding your, I mean, are you like uh, Nick, Nick Pollock, of course I'm referencing, um, and just holding your breath and crossing your fingers that we'll see some of these prospects come up and kind of fill the gap a little bit faster or, or how much are you willing to kind of uh, pull the trigger on a situation like this on guys like that, um, especially in a fab league before spring training really gets ramped up um, before the decisions are made, uh, you know, regular, you know, on a more known basis uh, in these situations with, you know, uh, with McDermott and, um, and other guys that Baltimore has kind of waiting in the wings. No, I think we're more likely to see guys that have major league experience unless they go out and sign somebody. I, I think we're going to see Tyler Wells. I think we're going to see Cole Irvin. Uh, we might even see Jonathan Heasley, who they got from the Royals, who had some some flashes. He was up and down in at the major league level for the Royals. But the, they've showed their hand that they they're, haven't appeared to be confident in promoting these young guys yet. So I think this is the route they're going to take with veterans, those already rostered and possibly, as, as you and Marty have brought up, maybe they do go out and, and sign another piece here. Yeah. Well, the names that at least keep an eye on for, of course, are listed in next top 100 uh, pitching prospects to watch for 2024. Chase McDermott, righty in Baltimore, Kate Povich, the lefty. Um, and then Justin and Brewster, uh, the righty in Baltimore as well, a little bit further down that list. Um, but these would be the guys that, you know, if they get a cup of coffee or they may be worth keeping an eye on, at least in your fab leagues, we want to be picking them up if given the opportunity, even if it's not at the beginning of the year, maybe early on in the season as they're trying to fill more holes because holes will continue to come up. That's just how it works. Um, all right. Last injury here that we got to talk, or a couple injuries that we got to talk about. Um, you know, stop me if you heard this before, but Josh Young has, will miss some time during spring training with a calf strain this time. Uh, the other injury here on the offensive side, uh, Tommy Edmonds, not really a new injury, just he hasn't been cleared to actually do anything. He's not allowed to hit, he's not allowed to throw. Um, we kind of knew this might be a possibility in St. Louis. Um, but Kevin, we are seeing these injuries to these hitters. Are they act at the very beginning of spring training? They're 
there's no word on whether or not they'll be on the IL to start the season. We don't know what they're going to be looking like at the end of spring training. Um, are you willing to take whatever discount the draft room is going to give you based on these injuries and not even these two specifically, it's more of an overall question. Um, you know, these kind of injuries where you don't know the severity of them, you're hoping that they'll be ready early on in the season. Are you willing to take that discount for names that you thought were going to be, you know, top half of your draft uh, impact bats? Well, you kind of threw me for a loop when you we changed it to in general, because as as I bring up quite often, I can be really hypocritical uh, on, on this type of subject. I, I, I know the right answer doesn't mean I always uh, follow that that advice my own advice uh but you know i i don't have much if any of either of these guys specifically tommy edmund or josh young so far on any of my teams and i i like both players they're both just i'm missing out on them they're going slightly earlier than than i've been willing to go with tommy edmund injury history has been part of that reason. So yeah, absolutely. I'm not drafting Tommy Edmund right now. Uh, I hadn't yet. I was willing to, but now it's just like, again, really? And Josh Young, it, it would depend on the discount. It'll depend what we see here. Uh, uh, like, like Marty said, we're going to talk about some of these guys and some other players, these situations affect later in the episode. But uh, yeah, Josh Young missing three weeks. Corey Seager missing some time. Um, I I am very happy for all of the Ezekiel Duran shares I have, and I'll probably be grabbing some more. Yeah, Duran, somebody we obviously came up uh, with. Obviously, with Seager missing uh, the beginning of the season, um, and any other injuries that you might see, Duran, you got to assume he's going to be first man up to at least increase his playing time. Uh, so I like the call out there for sure. Um, between the two, Marty, just these two specifically, I won't give you the general question uh, that I kind of imposed on Kevin. Uh, which one are you more likely to still pay top freight for where they're going? I mean, obviously, these guys aren't going at the same spot in your drafts in general. Um, but which one are you more likely to not have to have a discount to still kind of go after? Yeah, definitely Josh Young. I agree with Kevin. I'm, Tommy Edmonds way off my board. I don't care. Even if he was 100%, he's just not somebody I'm going to invest in um, probably for the rest of his career. And that and Josh Young, I mean, he's he barrels the ball like like at an elite rate, man. That like He has 30-plus home run upside. Um, he, his barrel percentage last year was 11.9 with the 260 XBA. Now, the question is how sensitive will his calf be? I mean, I know I don't think he's Josh Donaldson where this is going to be a problem for the rest of his life. Um, he's just still a young guy. And last year he had a, what he had a fractured, what did he do? He fractured his thumb. So that's a fluke injury. So I'm not going to, you know, I know he had a stress fracture in his foot. I would be interested to see if that was the same, if that's the same leg, that calf and that foot. I don't know if those are too intertwined. It'd just be something to, to kind of take a look at more. So, uh, but Josh Young, without a doubt. All right. All right. That's uh, I think it's enough news for today and, and especially ending it on all these injuries. It's just getting a little depressing. So let's move. It's on. only day one too, Adam. <laughs> Here we go. Most of these news came out before spring training even started. That's yeah. the worst part. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so here we go with 
let's get into the crux of the episode. Of course, we you're listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings. We are lucky to be joined by Marty Talman. Uh, Marty, take the time now to let everybody know out there where they can find you in your work, what you might be working on, uh, moving into you know actual baseball time. Yeah, so you can find me on um, on X at Marty underscore Tallman. And every week on the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Podcast, usually coming on a Wednesday or Thursday night, depending on depending on David Mendelssohn's little one, as he is a young father, as you are too, Adam. So, you know, you kind of got to roll with the punches on that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we'll be there, um, you know, all, all season. And yeah, this is, uh, right now it's draft time. What am I working on? I'm working on two drafts. I have uh, the TGFBI draft coming up, um, home leagues, and then if, if I'm left alone for a night, I might just hop into an NFBC. You know, like that's that's where we're at. <laughs> Don't leave Marty alone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is definitely that time of year. Yeah, like, it, it gets into the evening and everything's done, and the house is quiet, and like, you see those posts from the NFBC. Yeah, like oh, three spots draft. left. It's <laughs> live draft in 15 minutes. Like ah. Yeah. Hey, that's how I, I mean, the slow draft, it's not, the, it's not the live draft, uh, but that's how uh, I jumped into the Palazzo draft right now is Russell Armchair Roto. He, you know, he put it out. He's like, I just yep. need one more to fill this league. I'm like, I got you. I got Are you, you league two then? You're yeah, league two. I mean, probably. I don't, I don't know. That I'm they in were, league one. I don't think we're in the same one. No, so. we're not. No, You're we're in league not. two. Yeah, we're uh, only nine. Are you guys? Are you guys done? You guys? Uh, no, still- no, we're not done. I um, and yeah, of course I have it up right here. Um, we're currently on the two hundred and fifty fifth pick. So what? What round is that? Seventeenth round. Oh geez, I don't like doing math on the fly. Come on, seventeenth. <laughs> you saw this outline. I'm a little bit more prepared than that. I have to be. <laughs> um, all right. Well, speaking of numbers and math and an outline for a show that we said we were going to talk about, uh, let's get right into it then uh, with. Talking about how we're drafting, going into 2024 drafts. We've all done a bunch of drafts. We, uh, we're, we still have more drafts on the docket before the end of March. Um, but, Mario, I'm going to have you start us off here. Like, in the most general sense, like, what is your philosophy going into 2024 drafts when it comes to speed? And I have to clarify, we do this every episode. Speed doesn't mean just stolen bases. And we're talking about runs scored as well. Uh, typically, guys at the top of the order, typically guys who can run around the bases, score more runs. Um, they obviously have to have some bats behind them to knock them around. But um, how are you focusing on those categories uh, going into these drafts heading into the 2024 season? And just like in many parts of my life, I learn by, you know, the hardship of doing it wrong. So that's why it's I think it's uh, it's a good idea to do a couple drafts before you do your big league. So you can kind of see how things are unfolding with speed, like runs and stolen bases. And if you look at top 25 um, players and runs last year, it's the best players in the league. So I, at the t- at the beginning of the draft runs first 10, 15 rounds runs speak for themselves. They're going to take care of themselves because of the talent from there. We'll get into roster and, you know, contact percentage and walk percentage. But uh, first 10, 15 rounds, you're solid there. Don't worry about runs. Stolen bases is something that I am. It's very important to me. I'm taking a five tool player at every step of the draft in the first 10 rounds, unless you're a pitcher, um, you just have to. I don't want to end up in one of those positions, especially with the abundance of steals that you need to rely on two, three players or 
you're you you kind of ignored stolen bases. Now Starling Marte looks good to you. That's when you know you've screwed up. So I think it's going to be good. The chip for me, I'm chipping away, making sure each one of my guys in those first rounds, 10, at least 10, preferably 15, 20. And then if you're lucky, you get one of the top four picks, right? And 60, 40 steals kind of takes care of themselves. But um, in essence, in the, at the beginning of the draft, I, I think runs take care of themselves and stolen bases. You have to be mindful of them. I'm finding it hard to make them up later in drafts. Yeah. I mean, we saw all the the changes happen throughout the course of the season. Um, obviously, with the new rules, we didn't know how that was to impact. Now we've had a little bit more time to kind of soak that in. Uh, Kevin, I mean, are you in the same mentality? Like, are the guys at the? Are you needing to get those bags at the top of your draft so that it can? You don't have to worry about them later on. You also don't have to worry about grabbing guys like Estre Ruiz and, and like the rabbits that we talked about. Um, as well, where it's just not going to be, you know, a target of yours. You don't want to put yourself in that situation is what I'm saying. Um, or uh, we talked about it in our power episode. Power is just as important, maybe even more so. Uh, I mean, if you have to, ch- if you have to go in either direction, w- um, which one is going to be of more importance in the like top five, six rounds? The player with the better batting average. Oh, okay. Is, this, is that an okay answer? Uh, because I, yeah, this is crazy. Um, I, I was always a spread the wealth. Uh, try not to take any zeros. Of course, you're going to end up with one or two throughout your draft. I just wanted a handful of stolen bases from everybody. Of course, you're going to have a couple of players that get you 20 plus, maybe a player that's 30 plus. But trying not to get zero from anybody usually made the stolen base category work itself out for me. But now we need more like 13 to 14 stolen bases per starting position in a a 14 hitter lineup uh, to reach the 80th percentile target for stolen bases. And that's if stolen bases stay where they were last season. I'm of the opinion, and many others are as well, and and we'll probably get into this more later as well, that there's going to be even more stolen bases in 2024. We're to the point now where I don't, for for the first several rounds, uh, there, there can be an exception or two that I'm going to plan for, but I really don't want to draft anybody I don't think has the potential for double-digit stolen bases. If you're not doing that, you double digit stolen bases from every spot in your lineup or you do need a sturdy Ruiz. That's where we are this season. It's crazy. And I think it might be even more crazy than we realize. Even those of us that believe what I believe, it could be even worse. I, I think. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into this a little bit more later on when we talk about some specific players that we're targeting toward the very end of drafts who can kind of make up that for you as well. But um, I mean, we, we saw stolen bases go up. I mean, simple as that, Um, you know, mostly across the board. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that not only did the total number of stolen bases go up, but it's at the rate that runners were going um, throughout when the opportunities arose. Uh, so if you look at the, you know, stolen base attempt rates, um, you know, stolen bases per opportunities, uh, given, uh, in 2022, 
uh, the league was at about 6.4% of those opportunities were taken across the league. Uh, it went up to 8.1% um, in 2023. No shocker. Absolutely no shocker. Um, but I think what was, uh, was, was kind of not so much impressive or something to keep in mind um, that the fastest guys weren't the ones kind of making up that added opportunity. Uh, we saw in 2022, anybody who had a sprint speed of 29 or faster uh, had a, had a, um, a temp rate of 5.5%. It went up that same group. Again, anybody who had a sprint, uh, sprint speed, recorded sprint speed of 29 or faster went up to a 7%. So that jump didn't, ma- it didn't make as much of a jump in that group as it did in the other. Now they had more, those faster guys had more opportunities. So it's a bigger sample size. Um, But the fact is, is that they might've been making up the bulk of the stolen bases, but the, the slower guys on the base paths were taking more chances um, on average. So there are going to be opportunities, I think going into 2024 for guys who are just, good base runners, guys who are willing to take that chance more often that you don't peg necessarily as speedsters, as guys who can get you five or 10 stolen bases. Like these are guys, I think these are the guys that going into 2024 are going to see, hey, the rates at which people were successful last year skyrocketed. Um, And Kevin, we talked about this already. Like we're going to see more opportunities taken because people are realizing, hey, there's there's like we're good at this <laughs> right we're better at this than we think we should probably increase that attempt rate uh so i think we're going to start seeing that um with some of the slower guys going into this year uh than we saw with the initial change in the rules in 2023 right i think we have a, a couple of things we have the teams that didn't completely buy in in 2023 and attempt a lot more stolen bases seeing the results and realizing oh we're giving away runs by not taking more stolen base opportunities instead of the other way around yep right (laughs) and also the teams that did attempt more all their success rate went up as well so those teams were already open to to the idea and are probably uh, in my opinion, going to realize, Oh, we're too successful, right? If if the break even point that we need to hit is, you know, 73% roughly, and we're at well over 80%, we're not attempting enough stolen bases. We're giving away runs once again. Uh, So I think it's both the teams that did increase last season and especially the teams that didn't, if they, if, if they don't realize uh, not every team has six guys on, on their roster that they can cut loose for 20 stolen bases. But there, there's a couple that if, if we're not turning these guys loose, we are hampering our team's possibility to win the baseball game. And I, I think that's where we're headed. I think we're seeing another pretty substantial increase. Marty, are you, when you are looking at stolen bases throughout the course of the draft, are you still of the mind? Like, I feel like this is a a mindset that we kind of get caught up with over the years that stolen bases come from a certain spot, right? On your roster. Um, 
are you of the mindset like you have to get X amount of stolen bases out of a certain position on your roster? Um, or are you willing to, you know, we see guys like, you know, uh, Michael Garcia that, you know, Kevin and I talked about offline. I know Kevin, you've been talking about him nonstop everywhere you can, uh, but like you can get some stolen bases out of the third base position now with Garcia, uh, with Royce Lewis, with, you know, Jose Ramirez at the top of the draft. Um, but third base corner infield in general is not necessarily thought of as a place where you're going to get that. Like you need to get that power out of those positions. How locked in are you into the idea that I need to get X amount of home runs from this corner position and I need to get my stolen bases from the middle infield position? Um, or are you a little bit more flexible as you, as you move along in your draft? Here's my drafting strategy for that. If you are, I don't think you'd, you'd necessarily need to, but let's say you are able to get a first baseman who gets you more than 10 steals or a third baseman that gets you 15 or more steals. That allows you to not have to get into what you would call those rabbits, right? So you're kind of doing yourself a favor by getting those guys. And this is just a quick breakdown. This is a lot of numbers. So listeners stick with me here, but I'm going to um, catchers. There's only one player projected for more than 10 steals. First baseman's first baseman. There's only five players projected for more than ten steals. Third base, only fourteen players. Now look at shortstop, thirty-nine, and outfield, seventy-seven, and second base, twenty-four. So if you are able to get those stolen bases from your corner infielders, like a first or third base, that allows you a lot more flexibility as you move into your draft to maybe go after a Jorge Soler because. You, you've, you're pretty good with stolen bases. You've chipped away at it enough where you don't have to, um, you know, you're able to take that shot. So that that's what my goal is, is to uh, reward myself by getting one of those corner infielders who can really help me in steals. While also getting your short stop, second basements and outfielders, like Kevin said, <laughs> you need everybody. But <laughs> it takes a village. But if you do, if you get the corner infielders on your team that can help you in that category, you've done yourself a big favor. Yeah, so it sounds like, yeah, that's a like a target basically is looking for those stolen bait early. It sounds like, like that's more of They're a, all early for those. Yeah. Those got, corner yeah. Fielders. yeah. Yep. You know, minus the Garcia's of the world that you can get lucky if you need, you probably need to, at that point though, you probably need to bump him though. up. Yeah, and you do. And then you're getting into the rabbit territory for yeah, the most no. part. Yeah. Um, like nine homers. Unless, unless Kevin is spot on with his uh, expectations. Um, and then, <laughs> then we're all, apparently sitting, he's a lot all more built. Pretty. Than we yeah. thought. I, I saw a couple photos of him. He looks like a fire hydrant, man. That guy's built. Is Cal Garcia, best shape dude. of his life type of like, type of photos that you're. He's like five eight though, right? I've he's never heard of that term. I just made that up. Yeah, um, he is I've a seen. short guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. All right, we talked a lot about stolen bases though. Like runs are a category, <laughs> and they're typically you know you. The guys who stole, steal a lot of bases don't always score a lot of runs. They don't always go hand in hand. It's not like RBIs and home runs um, for the most part. Obviously, there are some exceptions on that as well. Um, but they don't always go hand in hand. So, Kevin, like, how important should runs be or do you just take them where you can get them? Oh, no, I'm not just taking them where I can get them. Uh, other than early in the draft, like Marty, I was sitting here nodding. At, at, if people are watching live on YouTube, they saw me when he was talking first 10 or 15 rounds, good players hit higher in the lineup. They're going to score more runs. We don't really have to keep an eye on that early in the draft. But a, as it goes on, 
the the run category correlates with the standings in a fantasy league more than any other category. Now it's a little backwards, right? Many of the other categories contribute to runs, right? If you're hitting home runs, you get a run. If you're stealing bases, you're in scoring position. So it, it's kind of backwards, but at the same time, absolutely you can't forget about runs. And and like Marty brought up, once you get past that 10, 15 rounds, then it is something that I pay a lot of attention to because it's hard to make up. When we start fabbing guys later in the season, typically they're guys lower in the lineups. And yeah, they can give us some power. They might steal some bases, but it's pretty rare that we see guys get called up or we see guys come out of the word work or breakout that are hitting in the top half of the lineup. And so the runs in fab are, are harder to come by. Yeah, we can stream teams with a seven-game week. That helps. We start playing the volume game, and that helps. But then are we hurting batting average, you know, or are we hurting other categories? So I, I think I, I agree with Marty 100%. Early in the draft, I don't even consider runs. Runs take care of themselves. But once we get into the mid rounds and definitely the later rounds, runs are something I'm paying really close attention to. Yeah, I mean, you got to associate runs with volume in general, right? I mean, if somebody is projected to score 100 runs, more than likely they're at the top of the lineup or toward the top of the lineup and they have a really good offense behind them. So thus the other the other things kind of trickle back behind them as well. They're going to get more plate appearances. Their their average is going to play more of a role in your you know batting your team's batting average because the yep. larger sample size. Um, you know because you're at the top of the lineup, depending on what that bottom third of that lineup of that team looks like, the RBIs may not be connected. Obviously. Um, but the volume itself is still going to play in such a way where you're, you know, the runs kind of equal everything else um, by way of the extra volume um, that you can get. Um, uh, we kind of touched on this already, but like Marty, do you, I mean, do you, do you foresee there being a difference in the, like going back to like just the speed in general, uh, but going back to stolen bases because that's you know the hot topic. <laughs> uh, you, like, what kind of difference do you see in 2024 versus 2023 when it's when it's all said and done? Yeah, yeah. Overall numbers, I I am operating under the assumption that worst case scenario it stays the same from 2023 or maybe another five five ten percent you know increase in steals. Steals were up 40 percent last year. That's the world we're living in. The rules have not changed. I, I don't think pitchers have gotten better with their pickoff moves or, you know, the two that they get, the, you know, all the rules that they have in charge. So um, I'm, I'm living in that world where it's going to be a 2023 stolen bases. Yeah, to be, to be fair, they did change one thing where the pitcher has less time clock with runners on base. Was it 20 seconds to down? It's 18 seconds. Eight, yeah, yeah. 18, um, yeah. So they, they have one, they do have one more thing in their favor. The runners they are, that is, yep. um, to you know, give them more opportunity to kind of move along the basis. So we'll see that. I, I, I will say too, something we talk about, like a lot, everybody talks about, is what you're lo- looking for in spring training. Uh, there are many things that don't matter in spring training. Uh, you know, people talk about you know K minus walk rate. 
that's something you want to pay attention to, or at least walk rate in general uh, for on the pitcher side. Something that does typically carry over, especially into April, is teams stolen base rates. Um, and if they're more aggressive in spring, more than likely they do they end up carrying that over at least into April um, as they get used to what's going on, uh, getting used to the team uh, aspect, what players can do, what they can't do. Um, and in general, it's uh, it's typically colder in April in most in most geographic regions. So we do see a little bit of an in, uh, uptick in stolen bases compared to home runs uh, in general. So keep an eye on what teams are doing in spring training and what players are doing specifically in spring training um, and how they're adjusting to the new pants because um, that that's going to play that's going to play a role. <laughs> so. That's uh, unfortunately the world we live in at the moment. And that will be the only reference that I make to these what apparently are terrible, terrible uniforms. Are you saying uh, this could lead to more stolen base attempts because guys want to slide and get a coating of dirt on yeah, their pants? A, so they, they, yeah, <laughs> cover so themselves up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can't <laughs> see the jersey underneath the, the pants or anything else for that matter. Um yeah, we'll see. I mean, who knows what will happen to the pants as they slide into second base. Uh, I'd rather not. So we will move on to our next segment here. Uh, we got, we're going to break this up into two different segments. We're going to talk about some players here. I want to pick your ga- guys' brains around. Of course, I want to play my favorite game that is Ask. Uh, we're going to talk about runs, and we're going to talk about stolen bases separately instead of bunching these two together here. Uh, but we are talking about players that we can draft in the final two rounds of a typical 12-team uh, NFBC-style formatted draft. This is going to you know, translate into pretty much any 12-teamer that has 30 roster spots in general. Um, so take that with, for what it's worth in your uh, drafts that you're heading into. But we're going to start here with stolen bases, guys. Uh, we're going to play Ask for stolen bases. So um, I've lumped a bunch of guys together that have the ability to run they have shown the ability in the at least in the last year or two um if given the opportunity um a lot of these guys uh they have what i what i refer to as a um a high sbi which is a stolen base intent which kind of measures the the fluctuation on which a runner will run based on the situation whether it's uh, they running against a catcher that has a high pop time or a pitcher who's good at holding runners back um, or uh, the count, the, the count that they're, they're running on or the, how many, the score of the game. There's a, co- a lot of different variables that I put into that. If they have a high SBI, that, that means that their, their attempt rate can fluctuate quite a bit based on the situation that they find themselves in. Um, but these are all guys that are going past ADP of 325. Uh, and they have all, n- none of them have been drafted in a hundred percent of online championships. These are these most common 12 team leagues, fab leagues on the NFPC platform. Um, I'm going to start with this threesome. I already, already talked to you about how to play ask those who have listened to the show before know how to play ask. So I'm not getting into all the rules. Uh, it, Kevin will definitely specify what the rules are as he tends to do because he doesn't always like to follow the rules. Uh, but I will hold you to the fire on all of these. So I ask you, Marty, I'm going to let you start it off as a guest. These are the most commonly drafted players um, of the bunch. So I bu- bunch these together. 
Uh, talked about Amon Rosario. He had been drafted in nine out of 32 completed OCs so far. Austin Hayes been drafted in 18 out of 32. And in the aforementioned Ezekiel Duran drafted in 24 out of 32 drafts completed when I looked this up. Um, if another draft is completed since then, I am sorry. But either way, here it is. You have to keep one of these guys on your starting roster all year. You got you get to stream another one. And one of the last one you've got to avoid, AK, you couldn't even draft them in a 50 round draft and hold 15 teamer if you wanted to. Uh, so those are the rules we got. All right. Well, I grew up on game shows, so I, I absolutely love this game. Uh, starting with Austin Hayes, I'm going to keep him. And the reason is no questions on playing time and he should bat fifth or sixth in that lineup. And I think he's perpetually undervalued. I mean, he was a $7 player last year. That puts him around like Tommy Fan, uh, Christopher Morrell, and uh, Cedric Mullins. Uh, then stream is Ahmed Rosario. And then avoid is Ezekiel Duran, which I don't think is going to be a popular answer um, since you guys already brought him up. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing here. I like the popular answer. There's only three of us here. So, I mean, it's really <laughs> difficult to have a consensus. Uh, Kevin, like or we talked about yeah, Duran filling in for, for Texas. Obviously, that's your situation. Hayes has, you know, probably regular playing time in Baltimore. We'll see how that outfield situation uh, turns out. Amar Rizzo has a new team, new situation. Not sure exactly what his full-time role is going to be. Uh, do you do you see things a little bit differently than Marty? Or if you need stolen bases, again, this is this game is specifically with stolen bases in mind. Um, at the end of your drafts, how would you uh, how would you put what, what buckets would you put these guys in? Yeah, this this is a tough one. And Ezekiel Duran is on plenty of my teams. The ones he's not on it. If he's available, he's probably not, but I, I would keep an eye on him. He is somebody that I, I'm going to stream all season long. We already talked about Corey Seager may not begin the season. Now Josh Young is three weeks later. Ezekiel Duran is going to get playing time as a utility player anyway, probably full-time playing time to start the season because of this. Doesn't steal a ton of bases, but uh, over a, a full season with full time playing time, he would he would get into double digits. Uh, so he he's my streamer. Uh, in spite of the fact that I think he's getting more playing time than than he than he had just a few days ago, um, I'm, I'm still going to stream him because I I think that's who he is and, and who I was planning on him to be already the other two i i think i'm flip-flopping due to recent events and we're talking stolen bases ahmed rosario uh is actually projected for double digit stolen bases and maybe in for more playing time as we talked about earlier in the show austin hayes uh i love love what he costs i agree with marty drafting him everywhere but for this exercise and because you make me follow the rules adam I have to use Austin Hayes as an avoid, but I, I love his draft cost. But I, I think my keep uh, is Ahmed Rosario if we're talking about stolen bases here. Uh, I think he easily gets double digits with a little bit more playing time like we talked about he could get. We we could push 20 stolen bases here. Uh, the other two guys, uh, we're looking at uh, double digits digits and low double digits as, as probably the maximum, even with the new stolen base environment. So yeah, 
my keep is Ahmed Rosario, who a couple of days ago would have been my avoid uh, of these three. Uh, Duran still my uh, my stream, and I, I'm going to avoid Austin Hayes once again. I flip flopped that with Ahmed Rosario uh, due to recent events. Yeah, the uh, I mean, it's interesting to note just. The, I, I mentioned these all guys have shown that they can run or they will run. Um, there is an odd man out in this group, and that is Austin Hayes. With uh, he he just simply did not attempt as many on a per opportunity basis than the other two guys uh, last year, uh, averaging out at about five point two percent, as opposed to Rosario and Duran, uh, who both cleared over twelve percent of their opportunities on second base. And I'm, I'm really focusing on second base here. Obviously the, the third base opportunities really skewed the data there. Um, so if you're looking at stolen bases per uh, specifically, that's something to keep in mind. I have to, here's a confession. I didn't do the, the, the first part of this game, right? Because I included stolen bases and runs, thus putting Hayes playing time. Yeah. That's where that's so. All right. We'll we'll make that adjustment on this next group here, then Marty and I'll. No, I'll no, look. I did it for I. I already made it up as I was like, all right, no, I already <laughs> switched them. We're good. I'm following suit. All right, there we go. Well, I'll still let Kevin lead us off on this other one. This is a. These guys have all been drafted here or there. Uh, they've been drafted in less than twenty twenty five percent of online championships so far, um, and they all got kind of question marks whether it be about health or their now their role in one of their cases uh, with certain recent signings and what have you. So Brandon Marsh, Kevin leads us off. He's been drafted in four out of thirty two. Alec Thomas in Arizona, uh, eight out of thirty two drafts drafted. Jake Cronenworth, San Diego, four out of thirty two. Obviously, Cronenworth has that multi-position eligibility. You can get a handful of stolen bases out of your corner. Um, with Cronenworth, that may play a role in your decision here. But tell me, I ask you, what buckets do you put these three guys in? Yeah, I said the last one was tough. So is this one. I, I, I'm keeping Alec Thomas. We've talked about him multiple times throughout the offseason. And uh, I, I like the way his uh, career is beginning to to take off towards the end of last season and into the postseason, The injury concerns really worry me with Brandon Marsh. So I, he's probably my avoid uh, by default. And he'd probably be my streamer anyway, Drake, Jake Cronenworth here. Uh, he, I, I think he's going to be in the lineup most every day for San Diego. I think overall as a team, they'll perform better. Uh, they've lost some, uh, elite talent like Juan Soto, but they still have a, a a lot of really good players that that underperformed a bit last season. I can see uh, Jake Cronenworth being my streamer here, but yeah, Alec Thomas is my is my keep. Uh, we've talked about that several times throughout this this off season. Yeah, obviously of the three, been drafted the most in these twelve teamers toward the end of drafts as well. In eight out of thirty-two drafts completed, uh, you know, put some numbers to each of these players before I get your take here, Marty. Uh, with Drake Cronenworth bringing up the rear as far as attempt rate goes, or S spot as we call it here, five uh, percent or five and a half percent compared to Brandon Marsh, who is at a whopping eleven point two percent. Uh, to end 2023, uh, we see we, we see the average um, of, of of the league closer to like the the high high single digits, uh, closer to like right around 10 percent. 
um, going into next, last year. So um, with that in mind or any other, other aspects you want to take, again, we're, we're, we're narrowing down on stolen bases here. This is the end of your draft. I ask you the same question. Are you, are you kind of bucking these guys the same way that Kevin did, um, or do you see them going a different way? A little different, but we agree on the most important thing, and that Alex Thomas. Yeah. We, I spoke <laughs> about him on the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball podcast last night as my favorite um, uh, outfielder going like after 50 or 60 in, in the outfield. Uh, strong side platoon who may even get there a little bit w- with lefties. I like everything I'm seeing from there. He, he's going to have a, a good role, and he has a good mitt, so I don't have to worry about him uh, sitting out. Uh, I'm I'm not really with this one's tough. This is this is this is a tough one. Uh, but with Marsh, I'm gonna I'm going to stream him, Brandon Marsh, um, only because I think he has 2020 upside. If he can stay healthy, I know that's the big if, but I, I think if he can, he has that ability to get you double-digit stolen bases. And Jake Cronenworth, even though he's going to be batting fourth or fifth in that lineup day in, day out, I don't see him getting more than seven, maybe eight. And if you're that, if you're down that far and you're oh, if you're down that far and you're specifically looking for stolen bases, I would go Marsh over Cronenworth, but Thomas overall all over the other two. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, the low-hanging fruit is Thomas. Yeah, and I think you guys nailed it on that one. Um, I, I think I would end up going toward Cronenworth myself just because of the dual eligibility and to my point earlier in the show. Um, the This is the guy who didn't have as high of an attempt rate last year um, but does have the ability, and I think that he could, you know, dial it up a little bit if he's in the right part of the order that's the other that's the other rub on this as well um you know if you see guys running there's guys being hitting in the you know five six seven eight hole uh not always conducive to opportunities uh being provided to you on the base plus you have to get on base yourself as well Um, he bad i'm gonna say real quick he did bat third today um obviously machado's not in there so he'd probably bat fourth or fifth so, uh, but he did hit a home run in the second at bat. So take that for what it's worth. You like to see that pop. You do. You can't steal bases if you're running around them all though. So um, <laughs> doesn't do our conversation any good. Uh, so that's uh, neither here nor there. Last grouping here. Mario, I'll let you uh, start us off with our solo shot. Guys, these guys have only been drafted in one OC so far. They still could possibly be on your radar uh, at the end of your draft or in your first week or two of uh, fab considerations. We have Kevin Biggio, Matt Veerling, and Luis Mato- Ma- ah, Matos uh, of San Francisco. Of course, uh, lump these guys into the same buckets that we've been doing and tell me why. Okay, uh, first keep uh, Luis Matos. I think he can get you 20 stolen bases. Uh, and th- He's the one that I think it, that's pretty much... Um, for me, that, that one's a no-brainer there. Um, Kevin Biggio and Matt Veerling, that one's a little bit closer. I give the edge to uh, to Biggio only because of the recent signings of uh, Gio Urshela. And then um, I, I think there's just going to be a lot of... Um, you know, uh, I don't. I, I question the playing time for both of those players, but I think Kevin Biggio, because of his on base, he has a little bit better of an eye. Um, I think he'd play a little bit more. So I, I would stream him and then bench Veerling. But I don't I feel was, good about either of them. I feel dirty even saying, you know, I want to stream <laughs> Kevin Biggio. It's, those are the rules, Marty. I know. It's <laughs> torture. I know. Um, that's why we brought you here. Uh, 
Yeah, Biggio, I was worried about playing time. I'm less worried about, besides Biggio, uh, the concerns of like injuries or anything like that. But as far as playing time, especially at third base, you know, Matt Chapman not being signed, not looking like he's going to come back to Toronto at this point. I say that with little to no knowledge of the situation. Just it's one of those things where it's like, it like we used Kevin, we always say like, the longer a guy doesn't sign, you just assume he's going back to the team they were with. I don't know. For some reason, with Matt Chapman, it's the opposite. It's like the longer he doesn't sign, the less likely I think he goes back to Toronto. Um, and with the news that you know Prospect Irrelevance Martinez is going to be playing at second base for Toronto during spring training, um, almost exclusively. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing him come up, but I thought they might push him to third base instead of shortstop. Uh, but if he's going to be playing at second base. You know, that's going to go in that direction, leaving third base a little bit more wide open. Um, Kevin, same grouping of guys, though. Kevin Biggio, Matt Verling, and Luis Matos. Uh, I ask you the same question. Who you got? Man, I, I'm going to avoid Matos here. Um, with, with the moves San Francisco's made in the offseason, they have Jorge Soler now. They have Jung Ho Lee now. Uh, Conforto, they're saying, is going to play every day in the outfield. Uh Presumably, so Soler can DH uh, is my assumption there, but I, I I just don't see room for Matos at at this at least to start the season. Unfortunately, Biggio and Veerling are both intriguing to me, and I like them both in draft and holds. Uh, I, I I'm not going to draft either in, in Fab leagues. I doubt many people would, but they're both worth keeping an eye on. I I think my streamer here. Uh, no, I, I'm going to keep Matt Veerling. I, I I know Detroit's got a lot going on. They they're making additions as well, but I I, I just think he's probably at least to start the year going to get more playing time. Kevin Biggio. I, I don't know what to do with. Um, and so he he's, I guess he's my streamer. I'm keeping Matt Veerling and avoiding Matos. So Biggio is my streamer, which makes the most sense because, you know, uh, roster resource and, and Mike Kerland's uh, lineup page disagree on, on Biggio's starting position even. Uh, <laughs> roster resource has him at second base now. Uh, Mike still has him at third base versus uh, 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 righties and, and on the bench versus lefties, I believe. Uh, I might have said that backwards. But, uh, yeah, he's my streamer. I, I'll, I'll keep Veerling. I think he's going to get some adequate playing time. Uh, none of these guys are, are locked in. Uh, unfortunately, I just don't think we see Matos for a while. Uh, I mean, besides that, well, Matos is – he had very small sample size as far as opportunities go. Um, he only had about a little, little over 50 opportunities to run, um, but still only took advantage of 5.5% of those opportunities on the base pass. He was a hundred percent, you know, yeah. had, 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 didn't get caught throughout the season. So I think nice. sometimes with young guys like that, such a small, small sample, they haven't been turned loose yet till they get comfortable and sure, settled with the team. So, uh, I don't. I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in, in that for him in particular. Uh, but yeah, I just. I, I don't like any of these three guys, to be honest. 
<laughs> they all definitely have their words. We're talking about guys that have only been drafted in one of 32 drafts and 12 teams. Right. Uh, but, you know, like I said, them the rules, Kevin. Um, all right, let's move off of ask them. We'll go into our standard preview episode section here where we talk about guys that you would actually want to target in the 29th or 30th round of drafts with runs scored specifically the target that you're looking uh category that you're looking for again these are guys that if you just failed miserably at drafting for this category again we're talking about run scored specifically these are the guys that at these positions that you might you know consider at least throwing in there as a bench spot maybe even rotating as kevin hit up um, a couple episodes ago there are options out there that you might even consider putting in your starting lineup uh, for the beginning of the season. So we'll start in the middle infield uh, to kind of, uh, I'm going to skip over catcher uh, as Marty pointed out earlier, not a whole lot of uh, options uh, for, uh, for scoring runs or stolen bases uh, at the catcher position. Not going to bore everybody with that position. Uh, sorry, Bubba. I know how much you like hearing and talking about catchers, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll move on right to the middle infield here. Kevin, have you start us off here? Because I love the name after the conversation we just had um, <laughs> about the infield situation in Toronto. Uh, but somebody that might be able to score some runs in the middle infield position uh, at the end of your drafts. Yeah, I'm rolling with Davis Schneider here, uh, which means I'm rolling with uh, Mike Curlin's take on the starting infield for the Toronto Blue Jays over roster resource in this instance, hoping that 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 Mike is correct here. He he has him. Uh, uh, we we know he's going to play against lefties, uh, but he has him in there as at least a part time player versus right handed pitching as well. Uh, I think he'll hit in the middle of the lineup versus lefties, lower in the lineup versus righties. But I still think he's mostly not quite every day, but mostly their everyday second baseman. Uh, I'm glad to see that that Mike still has his page that way. Uh, it is a little concerning that that Jason over at Roster Resource uh, has him as a, a part-time player uh, versus both both-handed this pitching now. Uh, that is a little concerning, but at, I've been big on Davis Snyder throughout the offseason, and I'm going to stick with it. I think he's a you know for as late in a draft as he goes, 70 runs is huge. Yeah, I think you had Snyder in the the power category when we play this game as well so obviously you like him as an all-around um option here um it's fine you can keep the pick i'm not going to make you pick somebody new uh but marty give us somebody give us a new name to consider in the middle infield that could score some runs and we'll piggybacking off what kevin said you're looking for 65 plus runs in this range that that's so you're sitting there looking at your drafts what what's a good amount of runs 60 plus 65 or you know somewhere in that range that that's what you're kind of shooting for um so i'm going to go to uh, brandon rogers i'm ready to be burned again second base colorado rockies with an adp of 358 he should hit in the middle of the lineup versus righties and typically top of the lineup versus lefties so as long as he can stay healthy, knock on wood, which has clearly been a problem for him his entire career, um, I project him to, for about 525 plate appearances, 65 runs, you know, and uh, potentially even more with that that crazy ballpark. But it's, it's, it just comes down to health for him. But I, I like him where, where he's at. Always the wild card when it comes to, you know, playing in Denver. Uh, 
Yeah, like it a lot. Um, it seems like just that's just the name that has continuously fallen um, year after year in draft. I draft them every year. I don't yeah. learn anything. I just dra- <laughs> he's there. I'm like second base. He could hit 25 homers. He could, you know. And I, he's on the team every time. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move to the corner then. Mario, let you uh, start us off here. Uh, corner infield position, of course, first third base who can still score some runs. So we're hoping we can find a guy toward the top of an order who's also a corner infielder, who's also playing almost every day. Uh, yeah. What uh, what direction do you think you'd be going? Now, I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure maybe Curlin brought this up uh, when he, this guy up, Nolan Chanuel, um, first base, Angels, ADP of 360. Um, I think they, I think he had him on for the batting average, uh, but I have him for um, for runs as well. He, I have him projected around 470 plate appearances as a strong side platoon. Um, he had a 280 uh, XBA last year, and Angels management's already said he's going to hit atop the lineup. So if he does that, he's going to project for around 70 runs. He's going to kill you in home runs. So this is this is a rabbit for like kind of just I don't know. Do you have a rabbit for runs? Is it the same thing? For runs and a little bit of batting average, is that the same? There's got to be a better animal for that. Yeah, runs is more long distance. So and then maybe Ooh. like, you know, what what animal runs long distance to chase the rabbit? I'm not sure. Uh, a fox, a greyhound. Yeah, you know, great. There we know. go. Greyhounds. Well, Nolan. Well, Mr. Nolan. I think he'll be. He's a he's a good shot at the um, the bat of drafts. If you're only looking for runs, and I don't, he's everything else is so empty. But I'm playing the game. There you go. Thank you for playing along. Mm-hmm. Kevin, corner infielder, scoring some runs. Who you got? All right. This time, this time, roster resource and, and Mike agree. And I love it. Uh, DJ LeMahieu, they both have leading off for the New York Yankees uh, versus both left and right handed pitching. I caution multiple times uh, throughout the offseason and even throughout the season at times. Uh, of, of cherry picking uh, the the really good one projection over all the other projection systems for a player, and Steamer has DJ Lemayhu for 80 runs scored in 2024. Everybody else has him in the upper 50s, low 60s, but it's playing time. Steamer has him for 618 plate appearances, which if he's going to lead off versus right and left-handed pitching. He's going to get the 600 plate appearances. So I love DJ LeMahieu. Uh, I have uh, avoided him in, in past seasons when he was a, an early round draft pick, but I love taking him where he's going this season. Yeah, I think I have a little bit of exposure for LeMahieu uh, myself at the end of drafts for the exact same reasons that you mentioned. Um, sometimes you just have to take the team's word that things are going to work out exactly the way that they expect them to. And, you know, Aaron Boo's already come out and said, you know, they expect LeMahieu to be the leadoff hitter uh, for the Yankees. So I'm not surprised that he matches on both MLB playing time and roster resource, as you Yeah, mentioned. and as long as they're healthy, you're looking at Soto, Judge, Glaber coming behind him. That That's a lot of runs. There might be some people back there that can, you know, knock him in. Yeah. <laughs> So as long as he gets on base, which he tends to do, or he has the ability to do, uh, he just sits there and wait. He can just <laughs> sit there and wait. Um, all right, let's move in to the outfield. Kevin, I'm going to let you start us off on this one. Uh, we got a guy from each of you in the outfield scoring some runs at the very end of your drafts. 
if there's if that's the position and that's the category you're looking to target, uh, who might who might be considered? Yeah, I I know we've talked about Kyle Isbell uh, a couple of times this offseason. Don't think he's been brought up when we were talking specific categories, uh, but he, he's projected by every projection system on Fangraphs for double digit stolen bases in only about a hundred games. He is the, the everyday center fielder for the Kansas city Royals, unless he plays his way out of that position. Uh, we've talked about this quite a bit. He's projected, you know, for mid forties uh, run scored, but only a hundred games, right? This is 70 runs, 65, 70 runs. Like Marty, Marty brought up as well is what we're looking at. He hasn't been drafted in an online championship. He is an everyday starter, uh, presumably. I, the Royals want him out there in center field every day. Yes, he's going to hit at the bottom of the order. That can help with runs scored. It's better than hitting sixth, seventh, eighth in a lineup statistically. So, yeah, I, th- I see Kyle Isbell going out and scoring that 65, 70 runs we were talking about earlier, unless he plays his way out of this lineup. But to start the season, he's going to have that opportunity. Yeah, I like that reference point you guys are talking about. Marty brought it up earlier as well. It's just knowing what makes sense as far as like, hey, I need a bunch of runs at the end of a draft. No. Yeah, I'm not, not getting 130. You're not getting, a, <laughs> you're not getting that. You're not even getting that 80. Like, yeah, you have the projection. You talked about LeMahieu earlier being projected at 80 plus runs scored. You're just, that's not what you need to be expecting out of the guy you're drafting in the 29th, 30th round in any capacity. Um, unless you sh- unless you just strike gold on some rookie that comes up that you weren't expecting, um, you know, or something happens in spring training and and you know what have you. But those those opportunities are so rare that that's not what you should be expecting. So I appreciate the guy. I appreciate you guys throwing that out there as like, hey, don't feel bad drafting somebody with you know 60, 65 uh, runs scored. That's going to help you where you are in this draft at this time. Um, so last outfielder here, Mario, let you. Uh, close this out here. Uh, if you're looking for runs, you're looking at the outfield position. Who might you be looking at? The ghost of Andrew Benatendi. He's still he's, he's still floating around there. Somewhere. He's floating around there somewhere. Uh, outfielder for the White Sox, ADP of 360. Uh, he's expected to lead off um, most of the time, and then you know against lefties, he's probably somewhere fifth, sixth in that lineup. That's about, I mean, that's about overall, I, that's all my nice stuff to say about him. He's <laughs> that's gonna be, where the story he's, ends. <laughs> he's going to play, and he still bats around 260, um, you know? So he'll be there until he's hurt, or maybe the White Sox want to start actually winning. Oh, um, man. But that, that's none of our concern. He's going that, to yeah, yeah. uh, no, be there. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 especially, I mean, we're talking about 12-teamers here. Um, of course, in a 15-teamer, doesn't matter if you're a leadoff hitter you're gonna have a place yeah. on a roster simple as that um and even in a 12 teamer it it's worth holding on to. it's worth grabbing pretty much all 30 leadoff hitters if, if you know they're going to be leading off uh the majority if not the entirety of the time there uh no matter how good or bad not only the the team is but the player themselves um because it you are able to bench stream um, the player. They don't have to sit on the wire. You don't have to fab. They don't have to spend money on them every time. 
Um, but if you like, you see that like you need to make a little bit of a jump in run scored. This is a guy that works well on your bench to kind of stream in and out um, in those situations, especially if you can play matchups in a in a league where you can change your lineup twice a week, like you can in an NFBC or yep. in a daily move where you know you just need to get those runs scored to win that category in your head to head league uh, is something to consider as well. And he does steal you, you know, 10 to 12 bases, which, you know, gets him from first to second, which ultimately could lead to more runs. So it's, it's got a couple things going for him a little bit. Um, I, hope right. he, I hope he's not on any of my teams though. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a good idea to draft him so that <laughs> yeah. I'm not tempted to do it. <laughs> I live in the 15 team land. I, I don't even, I don't do 12s until probably another two weeks. So like the last, my last drafts I do. So yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't swam in those waters yet. It's still, it's, I, I make the mistake of drafting a 12 and then drafting a 15, the very next draft. And I'm like, Oh, I this can't, feels so weird. And then you go I right back to the 12. Sense of it. I don't know if my 12 team teams are good because yeah. <laughs> they look great, but they may not. I don't, it's, it's hard. So I, yeah. there, there's some overall draft strategy. Stick with one draft for a period, a month, do your 15 teamers, then to go to your 12. So you got it. Don't go back and forth. There you go. Uh, Kevin, I'm not going to over, I'm going to still let you finish off here with some words of wisdom for everybody, but I got to throw in some last second news that I just saw come through because it has to do with your Royals. Uh, Another minor league deal. Austin Nola signs a minor league deal with the Royals. Uh, Does he make the team? And do you have another catcher backing up? Um, you know, everybody, all the other catcher eligible players that the Royals seem to roster. Yeah, I don't see this one. I hadn't seen it. So when you said it was the first I'd heard of it, and so far it does not make any sense to me. Many of the prospects in the Royal system are catcher. Uh, I think everybody's happy with uh, uh, Freddie Fermin as the backup and um, uh, in co- uh, the the next starting catcher for the Royals. Uh, so this on the surface doesn't gonna, make much sense to me. I'm going to make it make less sense to you because I saw Ken Rosenthal's uh, correction. It's not a minor league deal. It's a major league deal. So he has made the team. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it almost, it's almost like another move has to be coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying it's as big of a deal as Salvador Perez being moved, but there have been talks of that over the past year or two because uh, I doubt they're going to get a whole lot for Freddie Fermin and, and bring in another catcher. So yeah, right. it really, it, it, you've kind of made me nervous, Adam, it's over a- what might be happening with the Royals for the next couple of days, actually. Well, I, I will say, I mean, I talked about this a lot kind of in passing last year. Um, MJ Melendez held his catcher eligibility in Yahoo leagues. He started exa- or he played in exactly 10 games uh, at the catcher position last year. Obviously didn't hold on to that on a little bit more robust leagues than the NFBC platform where you need 20 going into the next season. But all just he's guaranteed to lose catcher eligibility if he didn't if you didn't think he was already. Uh, he's not playing anywhere near behind the plate, I'm assuming, uh, throughout the course of the 2024 season. If Nola actually has a major league deal there in Kansas City. All right. Well, with that news out of the way, Kevin, uh, close us out with any other uh, pieces of advice as we start seeing professional live baseball games being played on our television. Yeah, this is it's it's getting to be a, a really busy time of year. 
Uh, and I want to piggyback off of something. This, this is great that Marty just brought this up. I'd already planned on talking about this. I talked about it a little bit on uh, uh, the, the PitchCon panel that I was a part of, which, by the way, this weekend, when people are listening to this, they can also be viewing the Potapalooza panels, uh, which which will be great. So when you're done listening to this, if you are one of the, the many that has let us know you like this podcast with your coffee on Sunday mornings, then at, at, at 10 a.m., uh, Potapalooza will be firing back up as well. But it it's... It's intriguing to me because exactly what Marty was saying, and and I think this is awesome. He brought it up because I was planning on talking about this. Uh, I I have found that that throughout the season, yes, I'm looking at these waiver wires in 12 team leagues, and I love all these players that are available. I probably I shouldn't in a 12 team league, right? I'm used to the 15 team <laughs> leagues. So what I have realized, and and I know this is going to help me. I, I know for a fact it's going to work. It's going to help, and hopefully it will help others as well. If you, you play in multiple leagues, like a lot of us do, I, I'm I'm doing my fab for my different sized leagues on different days throughout the season. I I don't want to even be thinking about 15 team leagues when I'm working on my 12 team fab. I don't have to worry about it as much the other way around because players aren't available. However, I don't want to even be thinking somebody that's available in my 12 team leagues might be available in my 15. So going back to something we've touched on a, a few times this off season, kind of the, the the prep for the season, the time management, having a plan of what we're going to do, what we're going to do when. I'm not dealing with different size leagues at the same time in season, and I think that will help a lot. Yeah, the, I mean, I think that's great mentality to have. You want to separate that side of your brain from the other side of your brain. Um, at the very least, if you are going to be doing that together, uh, start with the 12s. And especially in a format like NFPC where you can copy your bids, uh, start with your 12s, copy those bids over to your 15s. If anybody's left, jump up and down. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So don't do it. What I'm saying, don't do it the other way around. Uh, so great thing to, uh, to think about as we head into the strongest draft season uh, or of draft season. Um, that is the month of March heading into the start of the season. Marty, thank you so much, man, for, for joining you, us and letting us break this down. Uh, remind everybody where they should, everybody should be following you, what you got working on. Um, and yeah, thanks again. Well, I want to say thank you both for having me on. Um, it, I am one of those people on a Saturday morning drinking my coffee, trying to figure out what I'm going to do for Fab. Um, so thank you for con- continuing to do this podcast. Um, you can find me at Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We go on once a week, like I said, Wednesday or Thursday. Who knows which one, but um, we'll always be on Twitter. And, yeah, if you um, if you log into Potapalooza, I'll be uh, doing my um, – we're doing uh, sleeper hitters at 4 p.m. on Sunday. So, um, yeah, I'm looking really forward to that. And then the TGFBI draft starts Monday. So this is, like you said, this is the strong of draft season. It's the best. It's my most favorite time of year. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful time. Of course, we have what should be national holiday coming up uh, March 28th, as in the real opening day. I'm not counting March 20th as opening day, though I do look forward to watching the series in, in Korea. Uh, but still. Every team starting on March 28th. That's the national holiday. 
that we all deserve. Um, all right. Something quick, Adam. So one of my home leagues, that that week is its own scoring period. How many scrubs from the Padres and Dodgers do I want <laughs> that I'm going to dump immediately after those two games? How, how much of a risk am I taking with my ratios? How, how many counting stats do I want to try to accumulate? I want to find this out uh, for sure. We, <laughs> in my home league, we just like earlier today, we just decided we're not counting the Korea games uh, just because of the way it would screw with our right. You know, the, our site has to it has to be its own week or not count them yeah. is how it has to be. And we're going with it's its own week. Uh, oh man, this is kind of crazy to me. Like that's that's wild. Do you know your matchup already? That's the best part. It's like, do you know who you're matched up? Is it a head to head? It's not head to head. Oh, no, okay. it is right, right. So it's it would Roto. be just oh, trying okay. to accumulate some county stats. Oh yeah, fair enough. All right, I will fine. say this: Maddie Wood in the Glarf draft. I think thirtieth uh, round, Joe Kelly. Yep, just yep. for those yep. those extra little streaming <laughs> streaming yep. gets. In the NFBC, there's no Fab before that Korea, but you get a there's free one, look. You get a right? free look. So you can yep. you'll get the fab after, and you know if Joe Kelly gets the win, great. You know, obviously Maddie's got that, that in his back pocket, but in those leagues where nobody took the chance on drafting <laughs> uh, somebody like that, you can you can fab them, and you can. We'll, we talked about this before, Kevin. We'll see how much money is spent in that first week <laughs> across right. different leagues uh, when the random person gets a win or a save or or, or hits a home run or a cycle or something crazy. Um, in, in Korea, uh, yeah, we decided to skip those games. It is a head to head, so like there would have been so many with our rules, we would have had so many teams just drafting a bunch of Padres and Dodgers players just to get a full lineup for those two days, and then yeah, like you said, dropping them for you know before the regular season actually starts. So uh, just not real gonna- quick before we get out here, I want to add since you guys have the power of pitcher list behind you, which I absolutely love. Um, can we get some park factors on where they're going to be playing? Like what kind of environment are we talking about? Do you even want to start a relief pitcher in that environment? Cause I, I go back to what was that great Britain where there was like, Oh, that was crazy. 18 homers. I don't even know. Maybe more than that. I don't know. It was a crazy game. So I, I'm a psychopath and I was already trying to find park factors and it, I can't, I don't, I can't read Korean. So I, I couldn't get into it, but some, one of you smart guys over there, uh, smart people over there, someone's got it. Do some digging. Some, I bet you're right. I bet you someone, we did a lot of coverage of the KBO during the off, off period. So uh, I think, I think we can make a call. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll let you know, Marty. <laughs> Good. Thank you. That's my, that's my, my homework. Inc- my inclination assignment. is that at, as with most of the overseas series, uh, our play is the overs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that tends to be, um, whether you're playing in Mexico city, great Britain, or that's the know, one that always comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Mexico. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this isn't the NBA all-star game or anything, but still, I think it's close. Uh, yeah. It's pretty close. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that is going to wrap it up for episode 152 of On The Wire. You can follow myself on Twitter at 80 Grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. I'd like to once again thank our guest, Marty Talman, for joining us uh, this week, talking about speed. Follow him at Marty underscore Talman. Link in the show description as well on the Twitter. Uh, after all that, I am Adam Howe. And on behalf of Kevin Hasting, Thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye.